Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Purdy Insurance. Visit Purdy Insurance on Market Street in Sunbury or visit online at purdyinsurance.com. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Everybody, it is the Steve Jones Show as we begin a new week on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Macatrillo here with you on a rainy Monday afternoon. I hope everybody is staying dry. Today's show brought to you by Purdy Insurance. Visit them for all of your latest insurance needs home, auto, flood, especially for rainy weather this week. They got you covered. Make sure you go check out our friends at Purdy Insurance there at today's show. Also brought to you by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Also, Lincoln Ford on the Auto, Miles, Auto Plaza for Lincoln Hyundai, as well as Sunbury Motors. And Steve Jones will join us soon after a week off yeah, from the I'm Sunbury here. Motors studio. Good afternoon, Steve. Hey, Matt, great to have you with us. I know Sean's off this week. Um, all right, so I've never had Easy Pass before. You know, people say, well, you got to get easy pass. Now, if you're doing business travel, you, you know, unless you want to break down your easy pass usage, I mean, it's just easier to put the easy pass away and you get receipts at tolls and you turn it in. Okay. But when it comes to pleasure travel, yeah, it's, I thought to myself, you know, it'd be finally nice to get one of those. You know, that way when I go over the bridge in New York or I'm on the... Mass Pike or whatever. Man, eh, I don't have to worry about tolls. And my daughter's moving back from Guam. Uh, her husband's tr- been transferred to Andrews Air Force Base. And that will be this fall. And so they're going to live in Alexandria, Virginia. Well, there's a back toll road that goes through eastern Virginia you can take. And I thought, hey, you know what? It'd be nice to have this. So I go and get one. Finally, the first time, Monday night, I'm going to use it. I thought, this will be great. This will be the first time I've ever gone through the Easy Pass lane, slowed down to about 15, but just kept on rolling and didn't have to worry about it. So I go up to the Newburgh Beacon Bridge, cross over the Hudson River, bang, there's the toll booth. Several selections, nice and easy. And I see one that has one car. I thought, now well, that dude will be going. I'll just kind of slide over there, and we'll go from there. I pull in behind the car. It turns out he's the only car at the bridge that's in the easy pass lane that doesn't have an easy pass. <laughs> Always <laughs> I, happens. I look at Kathy. I'm like, I, can you believe this? <laughs> so now, of course, I have to get out of the lane. I've got to get out of there. So I'm looking around. And I'm looking left, looking right. You know, the the van we have does have a backup camera in it, so I can see there's nobody behind me. 
I'm able to inch my way back, inch my way back, and then slide into the thing. <laughs> I said it would have been easier if I just paid. Oh, my goodness. So, I'm sure as the years go by, it'll be just fine. But, yes, my first experience, not what I expected it to be. Yes, are you sure you? It is faster. What you should do next time, you, if you go all the way to the left, they have the ones where you can just go pass through and, and they automatically scan it so you don't have to slow down. That's probably the best way to go. Well, and that's what... Um, on the Mass Pike, for example, there's just a transponder. There, there are no toll booths. So it just clicks you and goes, oh, yeah, he's, he's, he's fine. Then they charge you and you move on from there. All right. Uh, we'll start with the sad story of the uh, day, and that is the passing of Rene Portland, who passed away over the weekend in Tannersville. And Rene was the head basketball coach here from 1980 to 2007. And she put together a great record, a great career, made it, took her team to the 2000 Final Four. You look up at the Raptors of the Jordan Center, which are littered with Lady Lion basketball, Atlantic 10, Big Ten championship banners, Elite Eight, Sweet Sixteens, you know, obviously the Final Four, the WNIT Championship, all that. I started working professionally in in State College. My first day of work was June eleventh, nineteen eighty. So, you know, there's a couple days where they just want you to be off, you know, just to kind of get started with the job before they put you on the air. So I wasn't on the air until like June 15th or something like that. Well, in that week, Beth Wilkinson was the news director. He said, look, I want you to, to um, uh, we need you to go out and handle, handle your first assignment. I said, sure. I said, what's that? And she said, well, they're introducing the new women's basketball coach at Penn State. Her name is Renee Portland. I said, okay, Renee Portland. Okay. And so I go over to the Nittany Lion Inn, and we found out very quickly that her name, which I did, I did not call her Renee. Right? Found out very quickly as she started out where it was emphasized that her name was Rini for Maureen. And she is the only coach. Joe Paterno was athletic director for two years at Penn State, 80, 81, and into March of 82. And she's the only coach Joe hired. She had been at Colorado. So at her introductory press conference, I always used to kid her, your first day was my first day, essentially. And the first six seasons she was the coach, I did their games. There was an overlap of four years where I was doing both the men's games and the women's games. But for six seasons, I did the Lady Lion basketball games. Going down to the Palestra to do playoff games, going to Knoxville, Tennessee. Rini was always pushing as far as she could push 
to promote her team and her sport, to get as many people out to see her team as possible. And she was relentless in that pursuit, and relentless in her pursuit that women's basketball could be a force athletically and also be a force as a spectator sport. And she always pushed over and over and over. So when, for example, women's basketball got out of the AIAW and the NCAA took over, the first ever NCAA women's tournament game was played in Rec Hall. Because Rini pushed for it. They played Clemson, led by, I want to say, Barbara Kennedy. And I did that game as well. I did her first game, which was with Howard and Carol Waldeman, who had transferred from Colorado to Penn State, I think had 19 points that night. And I said something to Rini after that game about, well, he says, well, he really brought a special player with you. She says, hey, Steve, you haven't seen anything yet. Says, Wait till you see the other player I brought. And the other player was coming off a knee injury, Andy Troyan. Well, Andy Troyan was a great point guard. And then Andy Troyan became Susie McConnell. And the rest from there is history. Great big player from Willingboro, New Jersey, named Khadijah Herbert. And the Lady Lions were, you know, really good almost year in and year out, dominating the Atlantic 10. They're getting into the Big 10, and they had a great rivalry with Purdue. Um, but at the same time, let's, it's also fair to recognize that Reedy's legacy here was complicated. The great successes on the court, great promotion, great person to talk to, great sense of humor, uh, had some very compassionate moments uh, when my father passed away. She was one of the people who came up on the plane to Connecticut to be, to go to his wake. Never forgot that. And she stopped coaching before she wanted to um, and decided never to coach again. And, you know, there are also times where, let's be frank about it, where in the desire to push what she needed, and look, she pushed for equality all the time, and good for her. I mean, she she pushed for that. And sometimes it, you know, sometimes she could get results, sometimes she couldn't, but she pushed for it. And along the way, when you really push hard for things, you have allies, and then you have people who who like then bow their back and say, "Hey, man, come on," you know. And that's what happens when you have that competitive streak in her, which she had, and also had at times that stubborn streak. You know, both of those are qualities that made her a great coach, and both of those happen to be qualities that along the way can make the legacy complicated. But in the end... She treated me really well, even though when I, when Dean Jordan, it was actually Dean Jordan that was running the broadcast part of it at Penn State at the time. He's the one that told me, he says, hey, we, we you know, this is 1986, seven, something like that. We, you know, to, you know, like to see, concentrate, lock in on one. Because, you know, two teams are playing at the same time. He says, no, obviously, it's, it's men's basketball. I said, okay. So, I mean, 
that did not enamor her to me for a period of time because I think that she felt that I had picked one over over hers, and it wasn't the case. I was told to do it. Uh, and finally, after a period of a few years where she kind of figured out that I didn't, you know, that I was told to do it, then it was, oh, okay. Wasn't happy about it, but understood it. How about that? And her family, I mean, to her family, John, who's her husband, John, is just one of the nicest people on the face of the earth. Uh, her daughters, uh, who, you know, incredible. Christine played here for the Lady Lions. Delisa, uh, her sons, John Jr., whom I just saw in November because he's John Jr. is now uh, on the NC State side of it, is running what they do at PNC Arena. Because PNC Arena, you know, like Carolina Hurricanes play there and NC State plays there. Well, John takes care of the NC State side of it. I just saw John in November. Uh, it seemed like his mother was doing a little bit better because I knew she had been sick, but it seemed like she was doing a little bit better at that time. And then all of a sudden, I guess, when it, when it came back, it came back with a vengeance. And then her son, Stephen, uh, and the grandchildren. My deepest, deepest condolences to them. Uh, while it is a, a loss of a friend, while it is a loss to the uh, Lady Lime basketball family and all the great memories that uh, that come with her and the great runs that they had over the years and her personality. For them, it's a personal family tragedy to lose the matriarch of their family. And, of course, you know, I think you may realize she won three national titles herself as a player at Immaculata. She was on that Mighty Max team. Tim Chambers, Patrick's uh, brother, did a movie about the Mighty Max. Marini had her three national championship rings stolen out of her house. I remember that. <laughs> Somebody broke into her house, robbed the place, and took three. In the process, took their three championship rings. But to them, our deepest, deepest condolences. Um, All right, some Big Ten Media Day news. We'll talk about that in a moment as we continue on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Great to be with you on this Monday. Boy, the Phillies uh, pulled another one out last night. Reese Hoskins salvaged the doubleheader with a big home run last night. They beat the Padres 5 nothing. Right now, a game lead for the Phillies in the race. Manny Machado, of course, ends up going to the Dodgers. Um, not the Phillies. I'm not. There's no way on the planet I am critical in any way, shape, or form. They made a run at him. In the end, the Orioles picked uh, what they thought was the best deal for them, what was most appealing to them. The Dodgers were in the lead for this thing the entire time, and they were relinquished the lead to get Manny Machado. But at least the Phillies made a run at him. And the uh, Phillies are right now in first place. This has been interesting to see how it's all played out and how it's all come together for them. I think getting Reese Hoskins, though, it's amazing how he started well. Now, last year, of course, he played really well. He started this season well. Then he hit that massive slump where he just couldn't do anything. And then he fouled that ball that hit his jaw and he broke his jaw. 
it's been remarkable how since he's come back from that, which would shake anybody up, he's been terrific. <laughs> he's been terrific. I can't explain that. I'm not sure anybody can explain it. He's a really good hitter to begin with. And they've got an absolute ace in Nola. And Nola's been tremendous. I mean, he has been just good. He's been tremendous. Every team aches to have a number one. Corey Kluber, Severino, Verlander, Sale, Scherzer. Well, the Phillies have it now in Nola. He's the number one. Kershaw. They've got a number one. I mean, those guys pitch deep in the games and they stop losing streaks. Amazing. He's been that good. I think their bullpen's been good. They, have, they need to be a better hitting team. That's why I really endorsed the Machado acquisition if they could do it. Now, again, they just picked somebody else. So it wasn't like the Phillies did not make a run at it. They did. I give them credit for that. I mean, just because they didn't acquire them didn't mean they didn't put together an attractive package. You look at some of the names of the players that were thrown out there, and I think the Phillies put together what you would call an attractive package. It's just the Orioles thought that the Dodgers did better. Okay, that's fine. That happens. You know, they're not in the same division with the Phillies, so you're not hurt in that that way. And the Phillies do have some good prospects. Yeah, Moniak, you know, we'll see what happens with him. You know how much I like Adam Hazy. Uh, a couple guys in the Williamsport team they drafted, I like. Guys that moved through the system that are with them now. Obviously, I saw Franco play a lot. I saw Hernandez play a lot. I saw Knapp play a lot. I saw Hoskins play a lot. And those are all guys you felt had, quote, upward mobility in the Phillies organization. And as I've said once, I've said it a hundred times, but it's worth repeating. I never project anybody to the major leagues. Never. Zero. There are too many twists and turns, and it's a long path. It's years to get there. Years. So it's illogical to sit there and project, hey, look at a guy, you know, I think that guy's going to make the major leagues. All right? It's not going to happen. It doesn't happen that way. Uh, so I, when I look at a guy and I think upward mobility, I think, you know what, that guy's got a shot to get the double A. Because then, then the weeding out process really happens at that point. So the Phillies, good young team in first place. Braves, good young team right behind them. The Nationals, a real mixed-up team in third. The hottest team in baseball, not the best, but the hottest team in baseball, the Pirates. They've won nine games in a row. You want to talk about complicating things? Neil Huntington went from a potential seller to maybe a potential buyer in 10 days. They have the Indians tonight, and they will see Corey Kluber tonight. Trevor Williams goes to the Pirates. So we're going to talk with Chris Mack of the Pirates Network, a little baseball with him. Hey, Todd Callis, Harry's son, is going to be on with us later in the week. Tim Kirchin's coming up on Friday. Bill Bender's Sporting News did a great article on Trace McSorley. He's on Thursday. Taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. 
And today's show brought to you by Purdy Insurance, Market Street in Sunbury. Go to purdyinsurance.com. Purdy's have served this valley for decades. They'll find you the right insurance and the best price. I don't care if it's auto, home, life, business. And believe me, they're on the job 24-7. Right? There are times Adam has told us where he's, look, he's been called on the weekend. They said, hey, look, am I covered on this? He, he checks and makes sure. That's the kind of insurance agent I want. Somebody just cares about me. You know, they've got a lot of clients, but, you know, they take care of each one individually. Great people. Purdy Insurance. Market Street in Sunbury. Go to purdyinsurance.com. I'm in the Sunbury Motors studio. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia. Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. All right, let's get to some Big Ten uh, football news uh, going on at the uh, Big Ten Media Days taking place today and tomorrow in Chicago. Lots of uh, press conference news today. Now, one of the primary ones did deal with what are called availability reports. In other words, who's hurt? All right. And James Franklin's always had a standard policy, and the standard policy has been quite simple. If a guy can't play and is out for the season, is out for the season, then they'll report it. Well, that's not how they do things in the NFL. In the NFL, and this goes back to the 50s, they tell you whether a guy is out, doubtful, questionable, and that's it. Now there's no more probable. Yeah, no more probable. If you're not on the list, you know, it's assumed you're probable. All right. Um, the suit used to say to me day to day, I said, suit, aren't we all? All right. So. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. <laughs> it confused them. All right. Oh. So. <laughs> oh, Uh, yeah, he's got a kick on in college. It's he's kind of locked up in, and the uh, now it's been proposed that college football or the Big Ten does the same thing, and a lot of people are in favor of. It. Believe it or not, guess who's in favor of it? Jim Harbaugh, the guy who doesn't even put out a uh, depth chart. Then put out a depth chart. He's in favor of it. Huh? What? Okay. I mean, then remember, for years in the NFL, he had to live with it. I mean, he had to live with this in the NFL. And that's why the, the, the depth chart thing always baffled me. And I thought, this guy in the NFL, I mean, what the heck? You know, and he won that way. He did fine. But now there's been talk about doing these availability reports as they call them, in college football. So James Franklin was asked about that. And some of his quotes today include, he says, the problem is, how are you going to enforce all these things? Which he is, he is correct about that, because how many years in a row was Tom Brady's name on the Patriots injury report? You can put him on the injury report. And, of course, for some odd reason, Brady kept showing up every week, despite being on the injury report. He'd show up at the game. Appear to play, lead a couple of big drives, win, move on. Uh, so, so teams can play games with it, especially if they don't respect it. Uh, so James Franklin said, he says, how are you going to enforce everything? 
He said, you want each program playing into the same rules. He says that is worthy. He said, but the ideas of enforcing the rules create problems. He said, one program is doing one thing, another is doing exactly the opposite. He says, it makes it challenging. He says, but for me, I'm not necessarily looking to do anything to help people in terms of who they're choosing and who they're betting on. For us, I want to know what the rules are within our state. I want to know what the rules are nationally. And once I know what they are, then we'll work, uh, just work around them. But to be honest with you, besides that, we're going to educate our players on what they need to be aware of. We're going to educate our coaches on what they need to be aware of. And besides that, it's going to be business as usual. Uh, He was then asked about keeping injuries secret, to which he said, part of it is gambling, part of it is our players' health, which is personal. He says there are also HIPAA laws when it comes to those type of things. Now, remember, with a HIPAA law, the individual has to sign off that the injury or whatever can be released. Now, okay, just standard you go in the hospital, you have to sign something like that. All right? If the player doesn't want to sign it, then it can't be released. Um... Now, then he was asked, you know, then I think, he was, I think he's talking about Mark Allen here. He says, the other thing is, if I tell you Mark has had a bad ankle, what's he going to do? What's the opposing team going to do? Go after the bad ankle? So if you have a weakness, why are you going to put your weaknesses on the table and let people know what they are? He said, for us, we're going to try to gain as much information as we possibly can about our opponent, and we're going to try to limit the amount of information that we give our opponent. So that's all it comes down to. All I care about is whatever the rules are, we're going to follow the rules. We're going to live within those rules and then go from there. But what I don't understand at this point is how we're going to enforce those rules. And he's correct about that. Is this going to be a compliance-enforced rule? Is this going to uh, going on each individual campus? Is there an NCAA enforcement rule? What are the penalties for it? So I just think we have to be careful because we have enough rules right now, and we have a hard time enforcing those rules, and now we're adding more. I mean, those are those are all absolutely valid points, by the way. To me, valid points. Like you could you could do anything with one of these reports that you want. As I mentioned, it, it, as Matt mentioned, probable is no longer on there. Now I don't think. I don't think Brady was listed as probable by the Patriots. He was always listed as questionable, right? That is correct. Right? And then every Sunday, the question was answered the same way. Hey, there he is. He's fine. Or he's (laughs) playing through it. Good news. (laughs) Tom's okay. I mean, when it gets to the point where it becomes a running joke, is that effective? Where it becomes a joke? I mean, that's, I mean, you have to ask that question. And again, and I pointed this out before about the HIPAA laws. What is, what is it, say you have a coach. So Coach Catrillo is out there, and Coach Catrillo is... coaching his team, and he gets uh, them in a room and says, all right, HIPAA laws. 
Uh, I don't want anybody to release to anybody their their injuries, so we're going to cite that who has a problem with it. Now what do you do? What do you do? How do you enforce that? I mean, I can see that as a scenario where all the players agree that, uh, guess what? Um, No, I don't want my injury released. So they don't sign off on it. Well, now they can't release the injury, right? Uh, I don't mind... If, for example, on a player availability that they release it once and it's Friday morning and they announce whether said player is out. No questionable, no probable, no doubtful, but they list the player is out. People that they know are not going to be playing in the game. Because let's let's be frank about this. Most teams are done practicing by Thursday night. If you don't know Friday morning whether somebody's going to be able to play or not, I mean, I think almost everybody has a really good idea about 95% of the players that did not practice during the week. Every once in a while, you do have a player that may not have practiced a lot during the week, but hey, look, the extra 48 hours between the Thursday practice and the game uh, opens the door, and you know, and it's a veteran because it's a veteran. They know exactly what what the deal is. They know the game plan, so they can get through a week of practice without practicing, and they can go through a week of what's needed to get them back on the field and they're able to play on Saturday. That does happen. Doesn't usually happen with a younger player, but usually can happen with an older player. But nine and a half times out of ten, a team hits Friday morning and they know who's out for that week. Now, I don't mean permanently. I don't mean, you know, you know this injury, it's a four-week injury, it's a seven- or eight-week injury. But on that Friday, they know what they have. And remember, too, when you're traveling in the Big Ten, you have a 70-man roster on the road. You know who's not traveling. So maybe that is one way they can do it in college where you have to list who is out. Not what the injury is, but on Friday morning you list who is out. And no, not no doubtful, no questionable, no, you know, no day to day. The pros are pretty cut and dried about that. You see what the NFL does. Baseball has now what's baseball? Ten day disabled list. There's used to be twenty. Yeah, used there's, to be there's ten day. Um, I think there's a seven day DL now too. Seven day, I think, is on concussions. Oh yes, uh, you're right. Yeah. Yeah, seven days on concussions, ten days disabled list, and a sixty day. Right now, those are those are the long term. Where there's no way Bobby's getting back this year. Um, so, uh, so you have those. I mean, that way you retain control of the player's contract and so forth, and they're they're hurt. Uh, 
Baseball used to have a 15-day, 21-day, 60-day. Now they got a 7 and a 10 and a 60. Uh, the NBA... I'm not sure what they do. It's I basically, guess. yeah, basically day-to-day, and I think they have uh, questionable and doubtful and probable. Uh, and you know, then some guys don't play, and it's CD. It's coach's decision. Uh, they weren't listed on the injury report. Uh, the NHL, it's upper body, lower body. And they tell you before the game who's in, who's out, who's a scratch. You want to talk about ob- ob- obscure injury reports? There's, there it is, right there for the NHL. Yeah, upper body, lower. You body. never know what it is, and that, that drives me crazy. Hey, here's one for you: lower body entails a lot of. <laughs> so does upper body. A lot, body. Of, a, a, Both a lot do. of possibilities. <laughs> there are a lot of possibilities here, and obviously, people want to know. You know, hey, you know. X players sprained a knee. Oh man, that's probably because fans are pretty sophisticated about this stuff. They kind of know how long things go now. Well, yeah, boy, that that sounds like he's going to be out three, four games. That sounds like he's going to be out three, four weeks. You know, you know, the fans are pretty good about knowing that stuff because they've been around it their whole life. Not only that too, but the NHL reporters, most of them at least, do a pretty good job in breaking into okay, what is exactly the injury and how long is he is said player going to be out for? And that's how right. fans get to know now. I mean, so maybe a compromise is, hey, look, on Friday morning, you have to declare who's out. I think that's fair because that's basically what the NFL does. So you have to know, you have to put it out by Friday. Your definites, unless you right. unless you put a player as a game time decision. And I, I mean, think that'd be just, fair too for college football. I mean, I mean, you know, you don't have to declare somebody as doubtful. You don't have to declare anybody as questionable. Or probable, or whatever. You don't have to do any of that stuff. But on Friday morning by noon, because every staff meets Friday morning, by noon you have to post which players are out. Okay. And then you go from there. And because, I mean, not even water from Lords is going to be able to save somebody, so you move on. So no game time decision on your end, just by Friday, definite answer. Well, in other words, if there, if there's a game time decision on a player, I don't put him on the list. All right, that's true. Oh, there you go. Yeah. All right. In other words, I mean, for example, last season Friday, Penn State puts out its injury list. John Reed out. Well, we already you know. I mean, we know John Reed. You know, got hurt. We know he's out. Okay. Yeah. Now, and if a player is listed as out and then plays, now I think you've got to think about um, finding institutions for being inaccurate on the injury report. And where, where do you where do you hit them the hardest? You always hit them hardest in the pocketbook. So that's what they have. I mean, that would be something that if we were in a room and they said, let's brainstorm some ideas, that would be my brainstorming idea. Let's go with that. Friday at noon, you declare who's out for you. And and, and if there's a gray area on a guy, you don't put that guy on on the report. Okay, if there's a gray area. You don't put them on the report. Like I said, you can have a veteran 
who doesn't practice all week, who's who's trying to rehab an injury all week, all week, all week, and because they're a veteran, they know the the scheme offensively or defensively, where even though practice would really help, because practice always helps anyway, but they've played enough where they know what they're doing out there, and it turns out you can get them to be a go on Saturday, that's a person you don't put on the injury list. And if it's that if that's the case, then you you know it it turn you know, and if they don't play in the game, they don't play in the game. And you say, look, we you know, especially if it's on the road, look, we brought Bobby with us because we thought Bobby, you know there was an outside chance Bobby could play, so we weren't going to declare him out because we brought him with us, and it turned out that as of this morning, it didn't respond. He couldn't play, but he's here on the trip with us. Believe me. Dude, you don't want to take up when you're bringing 70 guys on the road you don't want to take up a lot of space with you know with different you know with different guys where they're eating up a spot where maybe somebody else can be on there now what's going to further complicate this in out thing will be this remember the new rules when it comes to the usage of players you can play up to four games and not lose your season of eligibility. So take, for example, a great freshman that you have. A lot of this will apply to freshmen. Sometimes this can apply to a veteran, too. But you have a great freshman. Great freshman plays the first three games of the season. But then you decide, hey, look, we're going to preserve this guy because we've got enough veterans to kind of fill the gap. Okay, fine. And they're not going to play again until December. Well, you're not going to declare that player out because the player could conceivably play for you. So you're not going to, but it does complicate it. We'll come back with more in a moment. Brought to you by Purdy Insurance on News Radio 1070 WKOK. All right, Saquon Barkley, uh, four-year, $31.2 million contract, completely guaranteed option, a team option for a fifth year. Uh, so he signed with the Giants. He's all set to go. I mean, you're slotted in these things. There's a big signing bonus, which makes him automatically rich. And uh, you have a lot of people up there who are uh, – Yeah, they're they're thrilled to have him. Believe me, they're thrilled to have him. So what's uh, that's what we got going on here now. Um, there are four teams in. Excuse me, there are six teams in the Big Ten. That, in my opinion, are potential double-digit win teams. The four are, obviously, Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, Wisconsin, and Northwestern. Now, I'm not saying all six win double digits. I'm saying those are the six teams that, when they start the season, each one has the potential to be double-digit victory teams. That is a lot for one conference to have six teams that have the potential to be double-digit winners. 
Trace McSorley, by the way, was the only player on the preseason watch list of 10 players that was unanimous. 